Juggling motherhood and modern day life can be stressful and relentless, but it doesn't need to be this way. The Joy of Being podcast is the answer to maternal mental health, bringing sustainable relief and calm to hardworking mums everywhere so that you your family and work can thrive. My name is Marina Pearson and I'm your host, transformational coach and mum who loves to interview business owners, transformational professionals and creatives to have insightful conversations about what it takes to really live a life that is thriving, fulfilling and full of joy. And today I've got some amazing news. You can now pre-order your very own version of the Joy of Being book, supporting hardworking mums to stress less and live more. If you're the type of mum who is struggling with the burdens of motherhood or modern day life, then this will be a perfect book for you. If you're curious, you want to know more and you want to see what's up with that book, you can do so at www.marinapearson.com slash order. And there you'll find all the amazing goodies that you'll get if you pre-order the book before the 10th of May. Today, I get to interview the beautiful Maureen York. Maureen has been involved with coaching and mentoring graduate students for over 25 years, as well as running a coaching and mentoring retreat and business under the brand name of The Calm Coach since 2008. Following her own cancer experience in 2017, she's now realigned her business to work with those that have a cancer diagnosis or are supporting someone with it. The harvest of her business, she takes the fear out of cancer. Having a deep and unshakable embodied understanding of how the mind works meant I had a calm experience throughout my whole cancer journey. And it is this that I now share with my clients. This is absolutely true. And when we were talking today, it really came across. She shared her journey in such a matter of fact way. There was no drama. There was just peace and stillness inside that gave her a very matter of fact way of dealing with it. We discussed how this way of being really helped her through the whole entire process. We also discussed how if you are a carer, what are the type of things that can really help? We also talked about what she wasn't listening to before the cancer diagnosis and how now she's really shifted and changed the way that she sees her body. But more importantly than all of this was really the poignant moment where we really, really got quiet and understood that there is really nothing to fear and that cancer with a diagnosis is also part of that. So if you are someone who has a cancer diagnosis, just been diagnosed, or someone who actually looks after someone with a diagnosis, then this is going to be an amazing episode for you. And if you know of anybody that's going through it right now, please share this episode with them because I know and I hope that this will make a significant difference to their experience and maybe even help them enjoy the journey. So welcome everybody. Today I have the beautiful Maureen York. Now Maureen and I been attempting to have this conversation for about I think about two months and in between it can't work it can work we planned it interestingly enough today I was like literally on the spot went can you do today can you do it this time and she's like yes so I'm really happy to have her on here today to talk about a really really important subject which is all about cancer and taking the fear out of it Maureen I'd love you to share what you do you know what your vision is so that anyone listening can really understand what you're up to in the world. I'm so pleased we've managed to get together today. And uh, yeah, here we go. Taking the fear out of cancer is my is my tagline, my strapline, whatever you want to call it. And it struck me when I was going through my own cancer treatment back in 2017 that there was an awful lot of fear and worry and angst at the, at the point of diagnosis. Um, and that, that bit wasn't being 
considered. You could go and have a conversation with X and Y and Z, but actually that initial cranky, now what do I do? Oh, this was like, for most people, it's like, it's like a, a ball out of the blue. What do I do now? Mm-hmm. So there were a number of people diagnosed that I was aware of at the same time as I was. And one particular lady who was actually my mother's hairdresser of all people, her first reaction was, I'm going to die. And I'm thinking, wow, that's an interesting kind of leap of into the into the future of, that you, you, you could even guesstimate that that would be where you would go. So what I endeavour to do in the coaching sessions and the retreats that I offer is to bring people back to where they are right now, what they know for certain, and to give them that sense of peace of mind. Whilst there's all this craziness going on with treatment and your body's got this thing in it that you didn't, you never even knew existed until somebody gave you a label that they can be okay and reminding them that they're perfect no matter what's going on in the body and really just bringing them back to centre. So thank you, Maureen. And um, I know you and I met about, what, six years ago now? (laughs) (laughs) I know. And Maureen also shares the same understanding as I do, which is that uh, thought creates our experience, but it's all run through thought, mind and consciousness. And one of the things that I'd love to ask you, Maureen, is a little bit about your own story and what happened with you. The insights that you've had that for anybody that's listening could actually really be beneficial for either because they've got cancer or they have somebody that they know has cancer or maybe even the, the carer. So. so so, let me take you back to um, June 2017. And I, I clearly knew there was something going on because they had given me a whole lot of tests. I'd had a mammogram in the May and um, there were some follow-up tests. And you're thinking, okay, well, this is interesting. They don't give you all of these extra tests and things for no reason. Let's let's go and have a conversation. So I had a consultation on the 22nd of June. And I I sat in in with a consultant and uh, a nurse who I then discovered was a breast cancer nurse. And they said, you've got pre-cancer. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. I wonder what that is. But before they even got to telling me that that particular label, they were pussyfooting around me. They're going, you're on your own. And they were going, you could see their thinking, cramming their brains going, she's on her own, she's on her own. What do we do? What do we do? Do we carry on? Do we stop? I'm thinking, whoa. So I actually put my hands up and I went, can we just stop here? I said, you're clearly trying to pass me some information. Drip feeding me isn't helping. Can you just give me a, you know, just tell me? So they did, and then they they uh, they sort of unpacked it a bit. Uh, the consultant went, "I'll leave you in the care of the nurse," and da da And off he went. So nurse goes, "You do realise what he's just told you?" And I went, "I do think I understood it. Yes, thank you very much." She went, "But you came on your own," and I went, "I did." She went, wow. People don't tend to come on their own. And I went, well, you know, my body, my decision, and that was fine. So, but she was more concerned that I had come on my own than the actual diagnosis. 
there were, there's obviously a they, they, there's a standard and a set formula for how things should happen, and I clearly broke their mold that day. Right, because I can imagine that anybody else receiving this news, Maureen, would probably have A and one freaked out. Uh, we've gone into total like meltdown, yeah. um, which is such a testament to how grounded you are and how what's possible when we are spending more time in that place of peace and quiet and stillness. Right? Absolutely, and and it. It, it didn't that on reflection that I understood that, but at the, in, in that particular instance, it, it just it was just a pattern, it just happened, mm. and um, you were already there. The whole process thereafter, I was just kind of ebbing and flowing with how the, the whole system was put in place. Oh, and I mean, the, the, the actual NHS in and of itself, when I am based in Oxford, is phenomenal. So they have a, a service level agreement that you have to have. You have to once you've seen the surgeon, which I saw the following week. They have 28 days in which to perform whatever surgery or to start the surgery or whatever. And I thought, oh, that's cool. And I, and I was just going with it. There was no let's go into panic mode and what if they find this and what if they find that. There's no point for me. There was no point in going down that road. All I knew was at the time was I felt fine. Um, they clearly had found something that needed needed to be removed. Cool. I'm glad they found it. I'm glad they were going through the process to remove it. Thank you very much for their technical expertise. And it was just, and it was just a complete. For me, it was a really calm process. And what I reflected on much later, probably about six months later, it was actually being reflected back at me by uh, one of our lovely friends, uh, Julian Freeman, who was uh, interviewing me at the time, and he's going, what I saw was that the more that I was in a calm and relaxed space, the better the body had an, had an opportunity to heal mm-hmm. and to cope with whatever treatment, whatever surgeries or radiotherapy. I didn't, fortunately didn't have to have any chemo, but for those that have chemo, to, for, for the body to be able to cope with whatever is being thrown at it by the medical fraternity. Going into any level of anxious thinking, free fall thinking, or just being jumbled up or jumbled up is, was never going to help. But it didn't actually occur for me. I didn't go into that, whoa, kind of stuff. I found that I was having to manage the people around me <laughs> rather than manage myself. I was having to manage my mother, who was who lives 500 miles away, manage my darling husband, who thereafter insisted on coming to every appointment. And I'm like, okay, come if you wish, and I, I value your support and your love and all of those things, but I'm okay. And because of because I was giving out signals of I'm okay, they were calming down but it wasn't until probably about a year after I'd finished the treatment that my mother actually felt open enough to tell me that she she was she was adding extra prayers on for me every night and doing all these other things and I'm thinking well that's lovely thank you and I really appreciate it because it's the way she shows love and things actually I was it was quite interesting I was managing the people 
my 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 family, but also the people at work. So I had an HR manager who had never come across anybody that had cancer, didn't know how to cope with it, and I ended up having cold almost like coaching conversations with her around it's okay speaking to my line manager it's okay but but even talking to my surgeon who was a lovely scottish lady so you know she, we were quids in there and she asked to see me the week before my surgery was booked so i trotted off to her office and we had a conversation she was I'm really quite concerned that the uh, the lump that we're going to take out is really quite big it's quite dense so we can't actually see you know definitely that it's just just that isolated lump, and there may be something that more sinister going on. I went, oh, okay. And before I could say it, she says, I'm thinking that we might have to take out a lymph node or two. I says, you know, I was actually going to ask you to do that. And she went, you what? I says, well, yeah, let's think about this. I says, if you take out the lump and a couple of lymph nodes, and even if there's nothing wrong with them, it's always one, one surgery instead of two. Works for me. And she went, how can you be so calm about this? I says, well, the way I see it is there's nothing to fear but fear itself. I says, so I'm looking at this from a logical standpoint. I'd rather have one one time under the knife than two. And I says, and it takes up less of your time too. And she went, I've never met anybody like you before. And I went, well, there you go. And then we, ca- then we carried on, you know. Right. And so there's what I'm so two things that I wanted to share. The first one was um, there's always a caveat with this, right? Because each of us might make a different decision around it, depending on who we are, our experience, that sort of thing, what we understand of the body, what we understand of our bodies, and so forth. And the second thing I really hear is your matter of factness around it all. Like it's not, it's, it's okay. Yeah. Okay. It's a bit, it's a bit like, um, it's not a big deal. Like <laughs> it's not a big deal. And the other thing I, 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 I really resonated with when you were saying about keeping calm or, but not like, Oh, I've got to keep calm. And if I don't keep calm, then something will happen. It's more like it made sense to you that that mm. keeping calm or that being grounded would actually be more useful than, 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 than going down the spiral. Because actually, in fact, um, I'm reading uh, this book called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. And one of the tests that they did was to stress rats out or mice over a period of 30 minutes every single day. And what they found was, was that these mice would actually get ulcers 30 minutes a day. Now, What's really interesting about this is in society today, the way I see it is how many of us are overwhelming, stressing, angsting, worrying more than half an hour a day. And actually the body is not equipped to do that. It's equipped to maybe hold it for 30 minutes because we have a, you know, we're bigger in that sense, but it's not equipped to do it any longer than that. And of course, then all the energy goes to repairing the body, not to actually doing what you logically said, which is it, it needs to actually have all of its energy go into what I'm just about to face, which is, you know, the operations and this, and it will be healed quicker because you're in that place where it doesn't have to do an extra job 
So yeah, I just wanted to share that as 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 an aside that anybody that's listening as a, as a, mm. sort of a deeper understanding of that might go actually yes okay that makes sense to me. It's also interesting. So just to a, a slight side uh, um, tangent about how just reflecting what you said about how the the body knows where it needs to, to send its energy. So my my mother in law passed away. Uh, on Monday and she was 90 she had a really good life she had nothing wrong with her she died she died on, on the death certificate it said of old age and frailty now if you're going to die of anything that seems like a good thing to die of not many of us get that opportunity however what, what was I, I hadn't seen her for a long long time and I was getting uh, I was asking my husband how she was because he was up visiting her and he goes, well, she wasn't all playing our lives. And I says, I understand that. And he goes, why? I says, because the body was giving, was, was, was sending the energy where it needed to go, which was keeping the heart going, keeping the inner organs going. Sight, sight was a secondary thing. And it would have detracted from, because there's more energy required to, to see and once the ocular nerves get involved and all that type of stuff, all that extra information coming into the brain wasn't required. The only thing that was required was keeping the body going for as long as it could. And you might go, well, I never thought of that. So that, that just bears out what you've just been saying. Mm. Um, and, but there's some funny stories around this whole thing. I mean, so as much as I didn't go into free fall, didn't go into panic, um, I, I did have a moment. My moment happened probably about 18 months after. And my moment was, uh, I was at the Viva conference in Spain. Mm. And it was the third day of the three-day event. And Jonathan Shaddock and I were stood, sat at the front of the room doing the closing, let's wrap up and any questions anybody had in, in a small group, what their reflections were and things. And I was sat there, and in the room were people like uh, Judy Sedgman was there, and lots of other big names were sat in this space. And I'm thinking, and I've got nothing to share. The mind was blank. You know, you could have heard kind of tumbleweed going through my brain. There was absolutely nothing. And people were sharing, reflecting, and it was all nice. And then out of nowhere, out of nowhere, I went... And I'm just glad to be alive. But moreover, I was also so fortunate that also in the room was the beautiful Sue Latchman. So she and I went through our cancer experience at the same time. She had a more aggressive version than I, so she went through chemo one. And she was sharing her story on Facebook. And it was intriguing to me that I was, I, I didn't find the need to go into any crying or crazy thinking or all of that whilst I was going through the process and even for that year after but seeing her reminded me of my own uh, humanity mm. um, and, it, and it was in that moment that I thought I'm so glad to be there that's so beautiful Maureen because oh my goodness isn't that like that moment just a recognition of how valuable or how beautiful this life actually is. I'd love to hear what other insights you might have had that anybody listening to this might 
might be really helpful for them to have, you know, a better understanding of why they don't need to freak out. <laughs> it's a really bad yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's let's see. Um, and the other thing, actually, before I forget, yeah. is have you have you had a deeper understanding of your own body and and the whys and wherefores of possibly what came about or have you found that like actually not to be very useful anyway like not to have an understanding just in case it might come back or whatever I don't know like I might kind of that was the other question I had I, 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 I did start going down the road of um exploring uh why it might have occurred mm-hmm. um I didn't come to any formal conclusions per se um other than I hadn't I hadn't been paying attention. Oh really? <laughs> I hadn't been paying attention to my body. And so what do you mean by that, Maureen? Can so, you give a little bit more of an I'll give me my body due respect. Let's let's put it in those terms. So we're all uh it, not it, it's the uh, medical people talk about you should check your breasts and all of this type of stuff and I'm going, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no history in the family area. And it almost seemed like a, a, an extra burden. Why should I bother? And I got lazy. I got complacent. And it was also, it was almost like the, the, uh, the body going, and I'm going to give you some kind of experience you're not going to forget. Now, whether it did that or it didn't, I can't say for certain. You could, you could put all sorts of conjecture onto this. All I will say is that, because they kept saying to me, and you didn't feel this, I went, no, I didn't feel this. I didn't feel anything. Um, and you can talk to half the women who get breast cancer, and they're aware of a lump or some malformation of the breast where the nipple goes inverted and all sorts of things. And the other half of the women have no symptoms whatsoever, and yet they can end up with either a single or a double mastectomy, even though they had no symptoms. But what I what I find was that well, because they, they kept saying to me, "Well, you didn't feel anything," um, and on the occasions I would check, I felt nothing. But what what had it, what was it, what was interesting to me was that the lump was so because I'm not I'm not a small bosomed lady, Valen. You know this, so. The, the, the lump was so deep within the breast, there was no way of me on a, on a generic or general kind of testing or kind of um, just checking my breasts to think that I would have found it anyway. So I kind of went, oh, okay, that's interesting. But I, I did get complacent, so I wasn't probably checking as often or, or as thorough, shall we say, as perhaps I could have done. So I was, I, I was that was one thing. The other thing that that struck me was around keeping looking after your body in general terms, whether it's keeping yourself properly hydrated, giving yourself quality, high quality nutrition. I'm not saying you have everybody has to buy organic this and organic that, but as high quality as you can buy, so that you're not putting all the chemicals and the e numbers and all of that stuff in. So it's being more mindful about what you're eating more mindful about how you move your body and how often you move your body. And just being feeling more connected to it, even if it's down to daily moisturising of your body, so that you are in connection with your skin. You know all the bits that that are you. 
rather than going into that hectic, crazy lifestyle that we all tend to live, live these days, which is I'm too busy to, I'm too, uh, I've got so many other things on my plate to do this. And yet, if you give yourself that extra five minutes in the morning, you just never know what difference that might make. But it also centers you with your body. It brings you back to who you are. And this this is the thing that I talk to people about quite a lot, is about reconnecting them to who they are, reconnecting to that inner self that they had forgotten because they're too busy looking after everybody else, too busy putting out for whether it's your family, your work, your whatever. It's about reconnecting to yourself even a short space every day. I love that. And, and, you know, it's interesting. I'm about to give a talk next week about, um, to mark to, to, to a group of mums in business about, um, the problem I see actually these days around, yes, we're given all of these solutions, right? I don't know if you found this Maureen whereby, um, yes, it's about reconnecting back to yourself, but also, if you go online and you read all of these things about how to avoid burnout, how to look after your body, how to, it's all very short-term gain, but not long-term win. It's very much like about the bubble baths and the massages and the, and the, and while all of that's really helpful, I would only say that it's half of what's going on. Cause to me, that sounds very logistical. It's what we can do for our body and actually, are we really taking care of what's actually going to help us keep that inner peace? Because, you know, we started this conversation there. What I really hear you say is, is both are just, both are important, but you've got to have also the other piece, which is the understanding. And I remember Bill Pettit actually at this conference that I was at in LA recently saying, if you do not know where your experience is coming from, burnout is actually inevitable. And that clinched it for me because I was like, oh my goodness. So while yes, we can have all of these tactics, what I'm really hearing you say, Maureen, is is that you had the grounding, right? Like there was a sense of grounding already there for you, but there was this place of like me time. There was a place of like connecting back in with your body that needed needed, needed to to have a little bit, well, it just needed to be addressed, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I'd also like to, I mean, yes, you and I have an understanding about how the mind works and and how everything plays out for us, where where your experience comes from. But I'd also like to point out that we all come with this system in in built. Yeah. It's not an an add-on or a plug-in or an an extra app that you have to to buy on um, Google or whatever. And, And... the reason I say that, and I know that definitively, is a fact. Um, so I would be going for my radiotherapy sessions. Uh, the Church Hospital in Oxford has got six of these radiotherapy big, big gadget machines, fantastic things. And I would sit in the waiting room. The majority of the people in the waiting room were elderly. They were late 60s, early 70s, and some maybe beyond. Majority women, but there was a few guys there with a prostate cancer and whatever. Well, I, I, I would, I, it filled my heart with joy to watch these people because what they had in the waiting rooms were jigsaw puzzles and they would each get, they would, they would, they would create it almost like they were creating a new community 
because they were all getting excited and finding a peace and this, that, and the other. And their first thought when they arrived in the waiting room was, I hope nobody's finished it because I won't finish it. <laughs> their biggest concern was not the treatment, the surgery. I love it. What was going to happen, what bits of them had been chopped out. None of that concerned them whatsoever. It was all about, and I want to finish the jigsaw puzzle. So for me, that's the principles in action. That's then connecting with life in action. Mm. They didn't, I didn't have to tell them, now what you've got to think about is blah 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 it's already inbuilt, it's innate, as we say. And that, to me, was just the perfect demonstration of how life works, if you get out of your own way. Right. <laughs> but it's happening to us all. Like, you know, from moment to moment, like, we go in and out of this all the time. But I think, I think, in my humble opinion, actually understanding, giving, giving the understanding you know, you can have love, but if you've got no understanding, it makes a relationship really difficult, right? Like, so it's innate, but the frame of reference that we're walking through, if we have the understanding, and as, as beautiful Maureen is pointing out today, it's just easier to navigate life and have a understanding of, of what is actually really going on. I remember this beautiful metaphor, um, that I, I, I've taken on and plagiarized. Um, Michael Neal had said it in, in a podcast and he was saying, you know, what, what of any use is, is to understand that your thinking is creating your feeling and, and that, you know, we have an inbuilt system that can um, have us see something new at any, mo- at any moment and updates that. And he was talking about a sliding door you know, I don't know if it's happened to you. It's certainly happened to me. Where I've kind of been in the toilet, for example, where I think the door opens and shuts. Like I pull it towards me, I pull it away from me, and it's like it's not working. It's not working. It's not working. And then I go, "Oh, it's a sliding door." Okay, now I understand. And I love that metaphor because, yeah, I just, I just think it says it perfectly. It's so much easier to open the door if you know it slides from one. Absolutely, and, and when, when you when you've been given almost like the key to the magic garden. It, it changes your frame of reference for life and how you show up in life and how life shows up for you. So in the, in the context of cancer, whether you've had a diagnosis or whether you're the wine, let's call that, you're the hand holder, if you have a frame of reference that says to you, either you as a cancer patient, I'm okay no matter what, or as the hand holder, my mother, my brother, my sister, whoever has been given the cancer, they'll be okay no matter what. That shifts everything on its axis. It's almost like, uh, I don't know if you remember, a child's toy marina called a kaleidoscope. Yes. And it was like two barrels. And as you twisted the barrel, all these little bits of colour, little coloured bits of um, plastic or whatever it was, shifted and they created a new image. And it's almost as though the... Or even it's even it's it's it's, it's just changing. It, it gives you a complete different picture on life. It's also it's almost like with the camera as well, getting it into focus. Like we've been wandering through, and I say this from my own perspective as well, wandering through life slightly out of focus. And somebody has just pointed me in a different direction of, of given me a, a, an understanding, pointed me towards an understanding that has 
just put it back into 3D focus and it changes everything. So from the point of view of cancer, once you have a complete unequivocal certainty that no matter what they do, what treatment you have to have, what can, what surgery you have to have, what, all of those things, and the ramifications, and the, some of the treatment is horrible. Let's just not pussyfoot around this. Some of some of the chemo and stuff is 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 pretty serious stuff. But if you have an underlying, almost like a bedrock that you live your life from, and you have this innate understanding that you'll be okay, absolutely one hundred percent okay, no matter what, and it's not trivialising the cancer, the treatment, or anything. It shifts everything. So you don't, you don't get caught out by it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm wondering if somebody's listening in and going, I don't I don't quite believe that. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Um, but actually, yeah, thanks, Maureen, but <laughs> how is that possible? Like, I'm not actually possible. And, and is this lady just you know, talking lots of fluffy, purple, woo woo? Um, yeah, yeah I, I, I get that. I really get that. Um, when, when, I, um, when I first was introduced to this understanding, I, I, um, I suffered from a permanent headache and I had done for about 25 years. And I was popping pills like it was no tomorrow. I was taking paracetamol, codeine, combinations of the two. I'd been I'd spent thousands on alternative therapies over the years. I'd been to see GPs. They were testing me out on all kind of weird and wacky drugs that might possibly help and none of them ever did. And what I discovered was, uh, on reflection, was that it was the... during an alternative therapy session, so acupuncture or whatever, it was the 30 minutes of lying down and stopping that gave me the best best result rather than the treatment itself. Because once I was stood up, I was stood up again and off with my merry way, the headache was back. So it struck me about three or four months after I was introduced to this, so this back in 2010, and I was preparing to do a one-day workshop all on my own. And ordinarily it'd be like something you would get freaked out by, you know, you're thinking, oh, you've been crazy thinking, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do that there. Anyway, so the day before the workshop, I was doing all this prep work and I got to the end of the day and I hadn't taken any headache pills and I thought, whoa, that's weird. Never mind, I'll be back, I'll be right back tomorrow to normal tomorrow. Anyway, the next day I run the workshop all the way to the end of the day, no headache tablets. Hmm. Something not right here. Anyway, so about three or four days later, I had an appointment with a, a neuroscientist, a neurosurgeon. And he I explaining this new phenomena to him, this new headache tablet-taking phenomena. And he's going, oh, well, you need to be careful now. I went, really? He goes, yeah, yeah, because all of this toxin is going to leave your body. It's going to take up to 28 days. I'm thinking, 28 days without headache tablets? You're kidding me, man. I'm not going to survive this. Anyway, so I spoke to uh, one of our good friends, Jamie Smart, about this, and he said, document it. So I started documenting this, and I got to 28 days, 56 days, 100 days, 200 days. Well, that was November 2010. Now, I'm not telling you now that I never have a headache, but what I am telling you is that once I understood where the headache was coming from, in my case, and I can I have to put a huge caveat on this, if you've got a, a headache out of the blue, you go and see some medical person. I, I'm fortunate. 
in one way or another. I have a, an annual MRI scan of my brain, so I know what it looks like. What I discovered was that the more attention I gave the pain, the more the pain persisted. And it got so bad, Marina, that people weren't coming up to me, and even my mother would do it. She, it wasn't a, hi, how are you, Maureen? It's, hi, how's your head today? Oh, my God, I must have a headache. And I created all of this pain internally. And I was throwing tablets at it that it didn't need, and the body's going, well, what do I do with this? What do I do with this? I'm not sure if that answered your question, but for me, it's about once I saw that I was creating the pain, the pain started to dissipate and life took on a different slump. Once I understood that this beautiful mind that we're all given was being ultra-creative and was creating, helping create the pain, I could redirect it and say, you don't need to do that anymore, I'm fine. But the body and cancer, you can't just turn around and say, oh yeah, I've had enough of you. Ciao, adios. It's understanding that on a deeper level, so I'm not talking about the physical body here. I'm talking at a much deeper level that you're okay no matter what. I went into the experience of my cancer knowing, knowing, I mean, and I mean a capital K, knowing that no matter what they had found, no matter what treatment I would be given, no matter what follow-up would be offered, I would be okay no matter what. And once, when I, I'd seen it through the, through the headache stuff, but I really saw it through the cancer stuff. I didn't have to worry about the physical stuff because somebody else was taking care of that. The only thing I needed to concern myself was with being okay with me. Where was that? And what was showing up for me that day? Being okay. Being absolutely okay. It's kind of the same kind of the same but different but I had an epiphany about that we're not our bodies um when my father died actually I was there when he passed away and I was holding his hand and I went to check him afterwards just to see say give my last goodbye and what I it, it, it shocked me actually because all his frown lines had gone he looked translucent he looked like he was 50 years younger he was 92 at the time oh that's interesting He's not the same person as he was even like five minutes ago. Like he looks like a completely different man. Oh my goodness. He's not the body. And it was, it was a massive epiphany for me because I was like, oh my God, we live in this body. We have to in the terms of on this earth plane, whatever other planes there are, I don't know. I have, I'm not conscious enough to um, have experienced them yet. But on this plane, we have to have a body to be able to experience life. Like, we're housed in it. If we were just who we really are, <laughs> we wouldn't be able to touch each other, smell each other, eat, drink, enjoy, have sex. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, 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 and I had a sim- similar but different experience with my father. Well, I, and I was, um, I was called, to, he, he'd been in a cave home for about two years, and his birthday was the 24th of May. And 24th of May, 2013, I decided I would go and visit him. So I planned the trip. Because so he was 500 miles away. It's not something you can do on that. Mm. The next day type of thing. So I said, I said to my mother, I'm coming up to see him. She went, oh, okay then. 
So um, he was it was it was such an his, his room in the care home a lot. And like it, it was his because it was his birthday, the care home made a cake for everybody and poor chap, he couldn't eat. He had a it was all that going both out and into into the back of his throat, so he couldn't actually have the cake. So my mother got all teary and chattery of the room and everything else. So I was left in the room with my father, and in, in, and he couldn't speak. So I would just I held his hand and I stared into his eyes, and for what seemed like forever, but was only a nanosecond, we blended into one person, one entity. So I hear you when you say that we're just a we're all like we're a soul encapsulated in a body. But I, what I also understood was, and what I tried to explain to my mother in trying to alleviate some of her grief, was that he was okay. The body might be disintegrating around him, but he was as perfect the day he departed as the day he arrived. And for me, that's where the essence and the fear of, fear of cancer, but also the fear of dying, dissipated. Yeah, like... I've I've heard or I've experienced well I haven't experienced it firsthand but I've you know I've, my partner has he fell into coma and it was touch and go and he said that he didn't want to come back he was in such a beautiful feeling when they brought him when he when he came out of it he was like oh bugger <laughs> and he's not the first person I've spoken to actually um, I had another client who experienced something very similar and she said why did you bring me back. <laughs> <laughs> because the feeling of peace and inner stillness was something that maybe they hadn't experienced before. But I know you and I, I mean, yeah, it was just something that, that was like, whoa, this is what's possible. But, but, but also anybody that's listening, if, if, if any of this sounds a bit crazy, I get you. I really get you. Because I, I, I've been there too, and I'm thinking... Because I, I remember sat in um, the, the gorgeous Gillian Fox, good friend of mine. She and I went to Salt Spring back in 2015. And we were sat in, in the room with uh, Chip and Elsie were talking at the front of the room. And I felt cheated, absolutely cheated, because she sat next to me. She, she clearly heard something at a profound level. And she's in tears and she's sobbing. And I'm thinking, what did I miss? What did I didn't <laughs> I didn't hear it. So if there's anybody out there that's going, I don't get this, I hear you too. And I'd be like, yeah. And there's been experiences for me too where I've gone, what are they talking about? It's all gibberish. It's all purple and fluffy and over. And yet, you get it. I remember having my first conversation with Jamie and going, what? Mark, have you just said I no on the side? I was like, yeah, okay, weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> weirdo. We got on this call to sort my business out and you talk to me about feeling and thought and like whatever. But something had changed. And and, and that's the thing is we want to understand, but if you if you if any takeaway from today from our conversation is it's not in what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> Which defeats the maybe the entire point, but it's in the feeling that we're in um, and where we're coming from that hopefully can give you some insight into what's possible. Absolutely, um, I'm. It's all too ready to dismiss. Mm. Uh, believe me, back in 2010, I was ready for dismissing. 
I stuck with it. There was something in what was being shared that kept me coming back. I love that. Me too. (laughs) And here we are all those years later. Maureen, if somebody who listens to this says, oh my God, I am freaking out. I have cancer or, or is somebody that's actually dealing with that right now? How can they contact you? You can either drop me an email at maureen at maureenyorkcom or if you'd like to have a conversation, it's maureenyorkconversation.com. Uh, you can check out my website, which is naturally called maureenyork.com. <laughs> the whole bunch of ways. The whole, whole thing going on here. Yeah, or, or track me down on, on Facebook and send me a private message. I would be absolutely delighted to speak to anybody that, is that, that thinks that if they're going through it or they know somebody who's going through it or they just want to get a bit of better handle on how, how it's showing up for them, be delighted to have a conversation. Thank you so much, Maureen. And, you know, regardless of, um, you know, we'll make sure that they're put all in the notes anyway. So you can just click on the links below, um, below the blurb um, on this particular episode. So, you know, my takeaways from today is really that we're okay, regardless of what's going on for us and that we don't need to fear. that, in fact, um, there is a place inside of us all that knows and that, even if it looks like something that's really major, like cancer, um, there is a way to, to, to navigate it with, with more grace, more ease, more peace. And Maureen, well, you know, you're just such a perfect example of that. So thank you. Thank you for allowing me to share my stuff because um, I'm, I'm just so delighted that I, just one last thing, I searched beyond searching for where I should be pointing myself and how to share this understanding. And it found me. (laughs) I know, it's interesting, right? When you let something, when you're not worried about it, you're not, it just comes naturally anyway, right? So thank you. And for everybody that's been listening, I hope you found it as beautiful, profound, and as magical as I did. We'll speak next week. Bye-bye for now. And there we have it, another amazing episode of The Joy of Being. If you enjoyed this podcast, you may well enjoy the book as well. You can either download a free chapter, www.marinapearson.com slash chapter where I go into much more depth into how we can create more time and space as mums and if that doesn't fly and you're more curious about getting the entire book then you can do that too at www.marinapearson.com slash pre-order there you'll find a page with all the amazing goodies that you'll get if you pre-order it before the 10th of May so until next week's episode remember you are the joy you seek <laughs>